I would like to welcome you to our series of UBP podcasts hosted by UBP's Alternative Investment Solutions team. My name is Kia Bowley and I'm the CIO of the AS team. And I'm very pleased to have Thomas Christiansen, who is Head of Emerging Market Sovereign and Frontier Debt for the bank. The subject we will discuss today is that in an environment where investors are looking to replace low-yielding core fixed income exposure with exposure that generates a real yield above inflation, an area that should be considered is some of the asset classes within EM fixed income. Given that as an alternatives team, we normally look to invest in hedge fund approaches, why have I invited Thomas to provide his insights for us today? If you'll allow me to explain, for EM assets such as core markets, Brazil or Mexico, this will tend to be via an EM macro hedge fund specialist for our portfolios that trades liquid hard currency debt and FX. But as we move to non-core markets such as frontiers, there exist large informational inefficiencies which provide the opportunity to generate excess returns by specialist experts. These informational inefficiencies contribute to high levels of nominal and real yields, which both drives the core of returns from the long side and also makes shorting expensive and challenging. Thus, we think the optimal approach is via a directional specialist. Overriding all our selection process, either macro or directional specialists, is that they must be highly active in their approach as we think that that is embedded value in your investment exposure. So Thomas, um, can you explain why the return profile in frontier markets is cyclical in nature? Uh, sure, Kieran, and thanks for uh, having me. Um, so I think the, the cyclical nature is due to a combination of fundamental and, and technical drivers. Fundamentally, we know the US dollar trades in multi-year cycles and is closely linked to the US fiscal and current account balances. On the credit sides, spreads are correlated both to growth and commodities and the rates component, of course, to US monetary policy. Technically, flows towards the asset class, which may indeed be linked to the fundamentals I just mentioned, but also to valuations, both relative and absolute, and investor perceptions. And in any given year or time frame that you're looking at, these global exogenous factors interact with a myriad of idiosyncratic stories in the EM space. So if we're, we're now into the start of 2022, and um, why do you think we're then close to an inflection point in the fortunes of the asset class? Well, well on, the, on the EMFX side, we would point to the extremely large twin deficits the U.S. is currently running and has been running since last year and even since 2020, uh, much larger than anything on record during the prior five decades. The U.S. dollar has a very clear correlation with a lag of roughly two years to U.S. twin balances. Um, secondly, EMFX is cheap on most traditional valuation metrics. Uh, and while we hear arguments about U.S. monetary policy tightening usually being linked to dollar strength, as it was during the taper tantrum of 2013, this time around, we've seen many EM central banks be much more proactive and ahead of the curve, with Turkey, of course, being a notable exception. On the credit side, we find a very compelling argument on valuations, where frontier markets offer the largest pickup in yield we've seen in more than 15 years when compared to U.S. high yield. 
So frontier markets actually, at the end of last year, yielded a bit more than the historical average. Uh, meanwhile, recently, when I looked at the U.S. high-yield investment universe, 85% of it was yielding less than U.S. CPI. And I would imagine today the number might be even higher. That's remarkable. Uh, the previous largest proportion prior to, to 2021 was only 15%. So you have a massive valuation gap between Frontier and, and U.S. high-yield, which is, which is essentially the largest on record. And Frontier credit fundamentals, meanwhile, while they've weakened through COVID with increasing debt loads, these increases have been much smaller than what we've witnessed in developed markets. And the IMF is projecting that after 2021, which was an outlier where developed markets grew faster than emerging countries, due in large part to more fiscal stimulus, going forward, we'll see a return to emerging countries growing faster than developed ones. So combining the attractive valuations with the projected change in growth differentials and a continued search for yields and real yields in particular that you mentioned at the very beginning, we think the technical picture could also change for the asset class. So if we, if, if we, uh, and I think we're in agreement that, that we're really moving into a more supportive environment, then at the country level, the examples, either frontier and also local currency that fits with this bullish outlook? Yeah, I mean, in frontier space, our strategy really focuses on earning an attractive carry in credits where we like the fundamentals. Um, and here we point to Côte d'Ivoire and Benin as, as two good examples. Benin grew at nearly 4% positive in 2020, um, where COVID uh, you know, first reared its, its head, and is projected to grow around 5.5% in 2021. While Côte d'Ivoire grew also positively in 2020, roughly 2%, and is projected to have grown around 6% in 2021. Uh, the respective debt loads are manageable as well at roughly 50% of GDP for both. Uh, and this compares to developed markets where we have average debt loads well above 100% of GDP, uh, slower growth rates and, and lower yields. Uh, in local currency, we find compelling opportunities also in some frontier countries like Egypt. And in more traditional EM countries, we tend to prefer those countries that have strong fundamentals and credible monetary policies. Um, and these include Indonesia and, and Thailand, for example. And that's interesting because that really ties in with how we as an asset allocator look for that combination of turning point or inflection points where headwinds turn into real tailwinds. And you combine that with a manager's barrier to entry to protect their excess returns over their peers. And I think in the EM space, that experience of the manager is a crucial barrier that's sustainable. Um, I mean, from your sort of experience or any examples where this sort of multi-cycle payoffs start to uh, appear? Um, sure. I mean, I just mentioned that earning attractive carry in our frontier strategy is, is, the, is, the, main, uh, is the main point. Uh, the other element of that strategy is, is distress names, uh, which, of course, uh, happen from time to time in, in this space. Uh, and there you can make significant returns, even in defaulting bonds. And here, understanding the factors that come into play when a country is restructuring, and also even at which point to start engaging with the credit is best informed through many experiences of going through a default,